0: The MQL is a dying metric, in my opinion. And I know you're, we're talking to marketing people here and they, you know, sorry. The MQL is dying, man. Nobody's excited about, oh, okay, somebody clicked on this and they submitted a form. People submit forms all day, every day. How many times do you see something that looks interesting and you're like, okay, yeah, I want a little bit more information. But then the information comes and you're just not ready to buy or you're not really the decision maker. You just wanted to hear a little bit more.
1: Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dots Oyobulu, as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com.
2: Hi, marketers. This is Dots, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is Richard Georgi. He is the Vice President of Sales and Enablement and Strategy At Swiss RE, and we will be talking about performance marketing ideas for better B2B sales enablement. I know you guys are ready, so let's get it. Richard, welcome. Thanks for coming.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Could you please tell us a bit about yourself and your background, your role, and how you come to become the god of sales enablement?
0: So, Like you said, my name is Rich Georgie, and I work at a company called Swiss Re, which is a global reinsurer. Reinsurance is sort of a niche part of the insurance industry. So just to give some Mm -hmm. background uh, on that, so what I talk about later makes sense. Our clients are insurance carriers, right? So they range from regional and specialty insurers all the way up through some of the largest insurance carriers in the world. And what we do is we basically assume a portion of our clients' risk. And what that allows them to do is manage their exposure to large losses, enter new markets, or allocate their capital more effectively by reducing their financial strain. And at Swiss Re, I'm part of the global marketing organization. And as you said, I kind of run sales enablement and strategy in the Americas. So I own a lot of things for our sales teams, including what we call funnel acceleration, which is like targeted marketing initiatives, sales plays, content creation, things like that. I also own our sales methodology, training on new tools, localizing training for our global products, and then things like CRM and sales enablement and marketing tech stack as well. So I work closely with a lot of our local sales teams, as well as our solutions group who sells some of our digital and consulting products. And I've been in roles like this, so sales enablement, sales ops, marketing, for really more than a decade now. And I've spent time at a big four firm, also serving global asset managers and private equity clients. So I've seen from serving financial services and technology startups all the way up through some of the largest companies in the world.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You do have a well-decorated resume. That was exciting preparing for this. My question is, you wear a lot of hats currently, three hats to put it in a short form. And How do you get sales and marketing colleagues to work together? I'm asking that because if you are not aware, there is a problem right now with marketing, not wanting to work with sales. I don't know if sales don't want to work with marketing, but I am in marketing and I know that (laughs) we just like to stay in our lane, which is so bad. And I've always said, if you want to be a growth marketer, you have to collaborate You have to be in the sales loop. How do you get that to work?
0: That's a great question. And it really depends on the organization. It's not easy, right? You're right. Sales and marketing have traditionally been very siloed. Marketing and sales, they're two different kinds of personalities, right? One side is creative in many ways. They're trying to drive certain metrics, certain things. Sales can tend to be a little bit more type A, in terms of the the personalities, and that's very broadly speaking, when you're sales, you're out there in front of the customers, you feel like you're the man in the arena, the person in, in the arena out there, putting it out on the line every day, all day, taking the heat from customers, whereas you feel like marketing, they're the back office, which isn't really the case. And the thing that I try to drive a lot is the idea that sales and marketing are not just two sides of the same coin, but they're really part of this one journey that we've started calling revenue, right? It's the revenue journey. It's not just the customer journey, the buyer journey. It's not just sales or marketing. It's one revenue strategy from beginning to end where many times sales doesn't even realize how much they're kicking back to marketing or marketing doesn't realize how much what they're doing is being used by sales. One of the keys is helping to enlighten those leaders and those people in those roles about how much they do work together. Because when a salesperson gets a lead and they're working that lead and it turns out that person's not ready to buy, what happens? It goes back to marketing, right? Into a nurture campaign or some kind of client lifecycle cycle marketing campaign. And the same idea goes when marketing needs better ideas on how to serve the customers or what the customers are looking for, who is the most invaluable resource to them? The sellers, because they're the ones speaking to prospects and customers all the time. So if you can get them to see how much they really do need each other and put those differences aside. And I think that's where sales enablement plays such a huge role, sitting in that point between acting as the referee, so to speak, while sales and marketing are out on the pitch, kicking the ball back and forth to each other.
2: Yeah. And I would like you to write a little bit more on that. You mentioned something that relates to what I was about to ask you in terms of managing the expectations. So for example, if there is a stall lead that doesn't convert, that goes back to marketing. So marketing should expect that and don't think it's an extra work on their plate and so on and so forth. In terms of managing expectations, I will ask this from a sales perspective. What do you think salespeople need from marketing, generally speaking, to get their job done within the life cycle of a client or a prospect?
0: I guess it really depends. What sales needs is good, relevant content The first thing is we could talk a little bit about how they manage their expectations. And I think the most important thing is like clear goals, right? So marketing and sales need to be aligned goal-wise. They need to be working towards the same KPIs. So that helps with the managing of expectations, helps it make it a little bit easier because marketing can say, this is what we can deliver in service of this goal. And sales can say the same thing. And both teams understand what kind of content is needed how to deliver that content. And it's also super important, in my opinion. And this is something that I found, especially at very, very big companies, which the last two companies I've worked for are very large, having some kind of executive sponsorship, right? So sales and marketing teams need to feel like the KPIs are aligned to the wider company goals. You don't want sales or marketing to take the lead, so to speak. Because then you run the risk of sales, like I said, treating marketing like a back office or a support team or marketing, not listening to the needs of the sellers and thinking, okay, we know what we're doing from a marketing standpoint. We're the experts in content and demand gen and things like that. Having that executive sponsorship means that there's an arbitrator of sorts in the middle if they need that. But that's the most important thing, those clear goals, clear KPIs where both teams feel like they're striving for the same thing. And that's, again, back to that idea of a revenue journey versus a sales or marketing silo.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Revenue vision, if I would add a third term there. And I like what you said about having like a referee and then to go on the football trend yeah, or the soccer trend there, yeah. a, a VAR executive thing, looking over the shoulder of the referee and making sure that loop continues. Because I think On their own, sales and marketing, they can only do so much. It's my personal goal to educate marketers that it might be scary to work with sales because I can sit comfortably tracking CPMs and I'm getting paid. But getting into that, crossing that line to sales shows that you're making true commercial impact. But on its own, I think there's still some guidance that is needed. There still needs to be that entity, whether it's human or technology-based. That is making sure that these teams continue to work together for that shared revenue vision. Let me continue here. You mentioned something about the customer life cycle. And in the B2B space, there is the decision-making funnel and stages within the decision-making funnel. Again, imagine me from marketing talking to sales. How do we as marketers help to accelerate that process so that the sales happen much quicker, Than it should. How can we help sales get through that prospect decision making process so that decision can be made and they can get the results that they need?
0: Yeah. Marketing is obviously integral to speeding up the customer process and all of that. And for too long, like we said, they've lived in these silos. So when sales is engaged in their own prospecting, whether they're doing outbound or sales plays or looking for referrals or things like that. Marketing has to be aligned and providing support in a lot of different ways. Just off the top of my head, some of the places where marketing can be a huge help when they're thinking about how to drive real commercial impact, content marketing. So white papers, case studies, blog posts, establishing trust. We're very big on that. We're huge on that at Swiss Re where we want our customers to view us as thought leaders in our industry. So when it comes time for them to to use our services, we're top of mind with them. I email, I could talk a little bit more about how we use targeted campaigns a little bit. But obviously, this is an easy way to reach a lot of people. But the content has to be targeted, right? It has to be relevant. It has to be based on ideal customer profiles that marketing works with sales and product on together. So again, that collaboration is key. Social media This is a huge part of our communication strategy at Swiss Ray as any company really nowadays. And again, that thought leadership, conferences, events, field marketing. But the common theme through all of this is education, right? Prospects have a lot of ways that they could find out the information on their own. That information, they could go to the company website. They could find referrals online and reviews online. They're getting emails. They're getting targeted marketing things. They're getting a lot from everywhere. So marketing can help accelerate that sales process by making sure that they're curating the right information for the right buyers at the right time, right? That's the most important piece of all of this is that you have to think, I'm a customer. Where am I getting my information from? How much of that information is out there? Is it confusing? Is it too much? Marketing can help curate that for the right people and ensure a much more seamless experience. And then that in turn helps sales.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Everything that you said is tied to account-based content marketing, which is why I enjoy that a lot. It's not easy. It's painful. But when you do it well, you get the right results about that. And I like the fact that you started to give some examples on personalized content in trying to navigate what I call the B2B customer digital buying. And you also agree with me here that while people can find information on their own as much as possible, because of the nature of B2B, there is still a lot of consultation, a lot of knowledge that needs to be gathered on their end on how does this fit into my situation? How does this fit into my share of life? or share of corporate life if it's between in the B2B space, which is where all the things you've mentioned, targeted content at the right place, at the right time, for the right purpose, delivering the job to be done for these prospects so that they feel more confident moving forward through the buyer's journey. I wanna put you on the spot with this question and feel free to take some time on it. There's been a rising trend or people advocating for more brand awareness content or campaigns versus lead gen or lead nurturing campaigns. The first question, is that even correct or does it depend? Then I I would ask a follow-up.
0: I think it does depend. I'm not sure I've witnessed it completely myself, but I understand why that might be.
2: Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Now, when you say it depends, say you get a budget for, I don't know, $5 million per year, and you are asked to split this between brand awareness campaigns and lead generation campaigns. Again, brand awareness, education, thought leadership, you mentioned all that, lead nurturing or lead generation, you're already targeting those who are already interested or those who are not interested at the moment, but they want to stay top of mind. When will be your preferred split? I'm not saying there's a one side fits all. But from a B2B perspective, what would be your rough split of allocating marketing resources for each campaign type?
0: So that depends on a lot of factors. Obviously, both clearly have a place in the marketing mix. One thing I will say, it's important to note that lead generation comes after awareness. So when you're thinking about balancing that, you have to understand that you can have an awareness campaign without a lead generation strategy which I don't necessarily recommend, but you can. But you cannot have a lead generation strategy if there's no awareness built beforehand. Your lead gen will fail. And I don't even know if I should say this. Let's say I I was at a hypothetical company where we have been working very closely with the salespeople on the lead gen side of things. And they've been doing targeted marketing through our sales enablement tool. And they've been going to conferences and things like that, and and talking to current customers about cross-sell opportunities. And they were having very little success. And the reality is, is because they were engaged very far down the selling funnel while their buyers were way at the top of the funnel. And that's because they had no awareness. So I could tell you firsthand, I don't know what the right percentage is to split it out. And I think it depends in this case on product, right? So we have a core product that people know us for. You don't need an awareness campaign. We just want to stay top of mind. For new products, when you're going for, for a full go-to-market launch, if you don't have that air cover, so to speak, from an awareness campaign, your salespeople are going to be out there doing all that awareness first. And that is a huge waste of their time. They should not be out there driving awareness. They should be deep into the funnel with educating about why the right product is the right fit for them and how it solves for their pain points. But the customer should already have a basic idea long before they're in front of a salesperson.
2: Yeah, makes sense. I like the approach. Honestly, did not think about it this way. But yes, if you cannot run a lead gen without awareness, you can run awareness without lead gen, but it's not recommended, except if it's absolutely necessary
0: Right. If that's all your budget allows for is doing social and some SEO and things like that, you said 5 million, which is healthy, you know, depending on the size of the organization, you can raise that awareness. There's a lot of things you can do. And then a little bit more will fall onto your salespeople to do more prospecting, more of their own, but at least they're prospecting. If you're asking the salespeople to go out there and there's no knowledge in the market. About what you're offering, you're setting them up to fail and your leads are going to be lousy, right? Because the MQL is a dying metric, in my opinion. And I know you're, we're talking to marketing people here and they, you know, sorry. The MQL is dying, man. Nobody's excited about, oh, okay, somebody clicked on this and they submitted a form. People submit forms all day, every day. How many times do you see? something that looks interesting, and you're like, okay, yeah, I want a little bit more information. But then the information comes and you're just not ready to buy or you're not really the decision maker. You just wanted to hear a little bit more. To marketing, that's great. Oh, he clicked. He he filled out the web form. We got engagement. They're running around high-fiving. And the salesperson's like, what the hell is this? Like, This person has no budget, no need. They're not even an influencer. So that's what I say when I say the MQL is kind of dead or dying. And that, again, goes back to the awareness. Raising the awareness is great, but you want to drive revenue and you got to connect that stuff back to revenue.
2: Yeah, m- makes sense. Makes sense. So you're looking at SQLs, right? Sales qualified lists? Makes sense. That's another mind sheet for you there, guys. Again, it's been 11 years in marketing. So I know this is not easy. Sometimes I work, Richard, and I'm saying, Jesus, I got to do this, but I know I'm risking a lot, even my job. But I think like we've always said on this podcast, as marketers, we should be able to, even if we cannot demonstrate success all the time, no human is successful all the time. We should be able to demonstrate the process. To say, I am making a commitment to you, leadership. I'm not going to measure MQLs because I know they are not enough value. Yes, they are a good audience, but they are not enough value for bottom line. But this is the SQLs and it's zero at the moment. Please take it as it is. This is what I'm going to do to make it better. Do you agree?
0: I do agree. And I do want to extend an olive branch here. I have a marketing background. I'm in the marketing organization, but I almost look at MQLs the same way a sales leader looks at activity. It's a leading indicator, right? When you're a sales leader, ultimately you want a high conversion ratio. You want your people closing deals, but you understand it takes time to close a deal. So you look at things like, How many touches, right? How many phone calls have you made? How many emails have you sent? Have you reached out to this prospect via LinkedIn sales nav or other things like that? So you're still looking at that activity. You're just not reporting that to the CEO or your board. You're not going to the board and saying, my people made 10,000 phone calls this year. But as a sales leader, you have to look at that. So it's the same idea with MQLs. Obviously, MQLs are an important leading indicator because it means you're driving engagement. It means you're hitting people The most important thing you could do with those MQLs is see how many become SQLs and then know that those are the channels you should be investing in. So definitely there's value there if I'm a marketing person, but to your point, I'm not going to my CEO anymore and saying, oh, I drove 5,000 MQLs. Okay, how many of them became real revenue that we can report to the board or that we can report to the shareholders? That's what's important. So activity is important as a leading indicator, but ultimately from where I sit, In in an organization like mine, we're looking at hard revenue and backtracking, okay, where are we investing and are we looking at the right channels and things like that?
2: Yeah. So far, you've delivered gold, Richard. And if you have not subscribed to this channel, Apple, Spotify, Marketing Leadership, do it now. And guess what? There's still a lot to come. Now, Richard, where is the application of marketing technology? Or if you like, marketing to sales technology. So how should enterprises, especially, better approach the concept of digital transformation so that customer experiences, let me put it this way, are not left in the cracks. And I'm saying that because with enterprises, they manage a lot of things. They are managing a lot of campaigns at the same time. There's a tendency or a CMO to forget a customer experience of a particular product line or of a particular initiative. And that remains dormant and customers are complaining the conversion funnel is not great, where we no longer use bounce rates these days. The engagement on that website is not great. So have you, through your organization or some other history, had an efficient
0: and improved digital transformation at scale? Sure, yeah. So when thinking about how to better approach digital transformation, first and foremost it's really important to define like the two or three big pain points that your go to market teams are having that technology can solve for for instance at swissry we have a very lean tech stack by design because it works for what we need and it doesn't overload the sales team or the marketing team with too much and this goes back to we're a financial services firm our sales cycle is very long our relationships are very deep right so At the national level, we maybe have 20 clients in our target market total, right? The big insurance carriers that everybody in America has heard of. And I'm just speaking in my region, America, like nationwide and State Farm. And then at the global level, there's maybe 20 more, right? Zurich, Chubb, AIG, those big firms. So we have deep relationships with these firms. So we don't need a ton of stuff overloading the salespeople. Now, in roles where I've worked with a more transactional sales force, we've had two tools like ZoomInfo for contact data, sales enablement and engagement tools, coaching tools like Gong and, and so on. So when evaluating those tools, I always approach it and I think of the seller the way your seller thinks about their customer, right? Because sellers are sales enablement clients. So there's a saying that I've heard before, no one wants a three-quarter inch drill bit. They want a three-quarter inch hole right? So they have to buy the drill bit to get the hole. So what's the, you know, what's the real issue? Do our salespeople need better contact data or did they need to spend less time searching for contact information? Do sellers want a content management tool or do they want curated marketing assets that are readily available to send to the right persona? So you have to think about those things. And, And I always say, resist the urge to throw a new tool at every problem right? You don't need technology to solve for everything. You don't need a dozen tools in your tech stack. Another piece of it is involving all the teams in the decision process. So if it's a sales enablement tool, marketing is still going to be providing the content. So ensure that they have a say. Have your top salespeople and managers involved to test the tool. Does it do what they need to do? Sales ops will likely be leading the integration with IT and with the other tools. So they need a say along with, of course, like legal and procurement. And then finally, ensure that there is a very robust and sound change management plan in place. Your vendor needs to provide coaching and training resources for all the user groups. Include sales enablement, include marketing. I personally have seen very good tools with huge investments behind them sit idle because the change management program was lacking and then adoption suffers. And then those customer experiences that you were talking about that you're trying to solve for, getting the right information to the right customer, they never get solved for because even though we have the tools, no one uses them.
2: Yeah, makes sense. We will be going on a commercial break soon. And before I do that, I'd like to recap some of the things you said for our listeners. First thing is the change management. I think sometimes because we go through the stress of developing a solution, whether it's marketing or sales, We can't just wait to get it out there. We can't wait to let go. But then getting that product ready is maybe 50% of the process. The other 50% is getting people to use it, getting people to accept the fact that we just have to use this. We've already been used to this one. And then they are bringing this. Or maybe we see a point in using this. And then we can now use it. The other thing you mentioned is keeping things simple. That has been part of my own personal marketing philosophy is find your situation, find your product market fit, and develop the tech stack that fits that product market, where sales and marketing is looping. You don't need to throw a new tool at every problem. Use what works for you. Start with a strategy, which no tool can provide. That analysis, that insights that you gather from data, how you see customer behavior, where you see the loopholes and things like that. Get that resolved first. And sometimes the solutions is not even tools-based. It's often about a mindset sometimes, or it's just somebody made a mistake or something like that. I like some of all those solutions that you put in there. And before we let you go, we'll still ask a few more questions. But before then, let's take uh, a quick word from our sponsor. This
1: episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com.
2: Okay, the Marketing Leadership Podcast and with me here is Richard. It's been an amazing chat so far with great insights that they are so premium that you wonder why we are doing this for free. We will end this episode without going through attribution, marketing attribution. You had mentioned a little bit about the SQL and MQL. That's one bit of that as well. But I would like to ask you, what are your top three B2B sales enablement KPIs that have a bigger marketing contribution in it?
0: Sure. Yeah. So the three things that we look at, number one, we call it a Swiss re-hit ratio. It's, It's really your conversion ratio, right? How many opportunities convert and what channels convert the best. So again, that goes back to that idea of looking at where those MQLs are coming from and investing in those channels. The second thing, and I think this is huge just for any sales enablement group, and it again, goes back to where marketing can help accelerate the deal funnel is deal velocity, right? We have a very long deal cycle here, sometimes as long as two years, but certainly no less than nine to 12 months. So we're always looking at ways to speed that up. So again, investing in the right tools, trying to mitigate activities that take away from time spent with the client and so forth, right? So if I can reduce that deal cycle, if each seller can close maybe one more deal per year, instead of it being a 12 or 18 month, It could be a six-month deal cycle. What does that mean in terms of hitting our revenue goals? It's a very powerful metric, and it's one that marketing, again, plays a huge role in because it's about educating the client, raising that awareness. And then the last thing is even a little bit beyond maybe the SQL, and it's qualified meetings, right? So when you think about performance marketing or revenue marketing, obviously, we'll always, like I said, care about those impressions and care about engagement. But we need to understand which leads are truly qualified and where those leads are coming from. But we're really looking at meetings even beyond sales qualified.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Meetings with the AEs or something like that?
0: Meeting with a qualified buyer, meeting with somebody who can really make a decision. That's a huge metric of ours that we look at. And I think, again, we do look at the SQLs and sales accepted leads and things like that. But really we like to be able to report on and say, no, we sat in front of this many people who had this decision-making authority.
2: Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. I would like to ask something related to that, and that is attribution models. So you're given something that sounds like that in the sense of hitting the decision-making entity of that prospect from a B2B perspective, and whether it's the first interaction or last interaction, just hitting that Would often give faster results than other things. I would like you to, feel free to explore your mind here. I would like you to tell us from an attribution perspective, from a B2B marketing to sales journey, at what hit points do you think people that show a leading indicator might convert more than in other areas? I'll give you a good example. So for example, we are in a scenario where we are running awareness. And lead generation campaigns and then there's lead nurturing campaigns so where would you say contributes more at that level are we talking about people who are already familiar with the brand at some point and maybe went on shopping someplace else do you get more uh, traction from those who haven't heard of what you do before and say oh this is great i might have some b2b lead that might be useful for this and then they are doing that at the first time And that is working out. Or is it like a time decay thing where this person must work with you for 12, 24 months in order to build that relationship and then close the deal? Or for example, is it something in between?
0: You nailed it with the time decay. So I like linear attribution models. I think you're right. Like last click is not really accurate. And I think first click is even worse. And I never understood that one. There's days where I walked on a car dealership once and I looked at a car and was that a first click and I never buy that car. No, I see a commercial for, for something I can't afford. I go on the website anyway. <laughs> you know, So first click is ridiculous. I tend to lean towards a weighted model. So like a time decay model, because when you think about these very long sales cycles, you have to give credit to the multiple places where our prospects and even our current clients are getting their info, right? They're gonna get an email touch as a current client or a prospect. They might meet us at a conference, right? We're huge on conferences, the insurance industry. We, we love our conferences. There's a few very large ones every year. There's one that just happened in New York City this past week called InsureTech, which is obviously all the big insure techs and all the big carriers go to it. So you have a conversation there. Then they see something on LinkedIn, they download a white paper, they see a case study, they get another email. But I do weight things that are closer to the conversion higher because I do think it's always those last few things that kind of drives them to accept a meeting or request a demo of one of our tools on the solution side. But yeah, when you're talking about an 18-month sales cycle, there, there's no way you could say accurately that the first email they saw or the first LinkedIn post they saw is where all of it should be attributed. And you, you can't really say that the last thing that they saw is where it all, that might be the thing that drives them to convert into a meeting or a demo. But uh, maybe six months down the road, they met you, you were in, this, in the city that their offices are in, you stopped by, you had lunch, you, you left them with some collateral. Then two months later, you did a phone call. And then finally you said, hey, just so you know, X, Y, Z is happening, your peers are looking at this would love to show you a little bit more. Maybe that gets the highest weight because it's very super relevant, but it's all those little things before it. Those all mean something, right? Because again, it drives that awareness. It drives that knowledge. It drives that top of mind, those actions, the website clicks, things like that. So it all means something. But yeah, when it comes to attribution, a weighted time decay linear thing is to me the way to go. Now, if it's a much shorter sales cycle, some people out there have very short sales cycles, 30 days. It might be different, but when you're talking about, like I said, an 18-month sales cycle in some cases, there's no way you can attribute everything to just one. It's, it's the very definition of nurture.
2: I think any level of B 2 B would require time decay. Even if it's like a three-month cycle, a lot goes on in three months, you will not believe. Except for B 2 C, where you might have all these other attribution models play out and customers can make a sale on their own. Yeah, that's when really we can talk about that. But here with B2B, it's really about the time decay, just as you said. And I've even seen some clients take this further in trying to drive lifetime value. So they invite their clients over for a podcast episode and have them talk about their experience, have them talk about their own impact and how they've been able to achieve even more through the brand, how that brand has empowered them to do more for their market, and how that relationship helps to even drive more deals from the same clients that you have. So it doesn't really stop at the deal. Lifetime value is one of the very key KPIs. You subscribe for a a, a shaving razor these days. You subscribe for everything. It shows why everybody's looking at lifetime value, especially from the B2B. Side of things. And the, yeah, all the other examples that you mentioned with regards to whether it's email, whether it's events, whether it's white paper, whether it's some other physical engagement, whether it's the giftings with a customized collateral or things like that. But basically, anything that enables the sale to happen eventually and also enable the sale to continue. I may not be surprised to find out that marketers. Stop at sales acquisition because it takes a lot to get there. My message to you guys is if you're listening, there's still a lot of work to do. Building lifetime value is really what sets a lot of companies apart for B2B competitive advantage. So having to use those channels, having to use those touch points to continue to support, continue to educate, to continue to even entertain if you want, just to keep that relationship going. It's important. It's the very long marketing cycle, and I like talking about this because those who think marketing is easy
0: can now know that it's not easy. So, it's not easy, and it's thankless in a lot of ways because sometimes you have CEOs who are very numbers-driven. Maybe they come from the finance side or the strategy side, and to them, marketing is just—it's a must-have. They don't look at it as the investment that it's supposed to be. They look at it as an expense line. And that's why I'm big on the revenue marketing, this new idea of revenue marketing that's becoming so prevalent now, where it's all about connecting back to where you're driving the money from. And there's clear ROI. And I like what you said about having current clients, almost like testimonials. One thing we do at Swiss Re, though, we have client advisory boards where we literally invite our clients. We show them a good time in New York and they come to our offices and then we go out to dinner. But The crux of it is, is they sit around and we don't sell to them anything. We tell them what we're doing and we have them play a part in the process. Like, what are you seeing in the market? What are you seeing? What trends are you seeing? And where can we innovate better to serve you and your peers? And not only is it huge for driving that lifetime value because these are some of our best clients and we're saying we want you to advise us as clients, But then we also can tell that to other clients say, hey, these products were not just developed by market research and in a focus group, but they were literally like worked on by your industry peers. Right. Yeah.
2: Makes sense. Makes sense. We could go on and on. And I really enjoyed all this. Personally, I've learned a lot myself and I really thank you for your valuable perspective on on this subject. Where can our marketers find you, Richard, if they need the ingredients of true growth marketing or revenue marketing?
0: Yeah, you could find me on LinkedIn mostly. That's that's where I'm at. I um, I love talking about this stuff. I love talking about sales and marketing alignment. I think it's critical. I'm obviously not alone there. I you know, I didn't invent this idea, but in 17 years since I finished undergrad, I've been a part of organizations that have done it well and organizations that have not done it well, and I could tell you the places that People like to work where salespeople thrive, where they hit quota, are the places where sales and marketing work in tandem with each other and not as two different departments. So yeah, LinkedIn, I'm always open to being messaged there and talking about this kind of stuff. But this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I wish sales enablement is as viral as chat GPT for marketers. But we'll see. Yeah. That's all for today, guys. Thank you for listening. Please see more episodes at dotslovesmarketing.com and don't forget to subscribe on Apple and Spotify, Marketing Leadership. Till next episode, connect the dots.
1: Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com.